Welcome to Savage Minds. I'm your host, Julian Vigo. Today's guests are Christina Ellingson and Tonya Yevion. Christina Ellingson has a background in biotechnology and chemical engineering, and she's turned women's rights activist and publisher following targeted attacks by trans activists to her former employer. She's the country contact for Women's Declaration International Norway and the founder of Matriarchen. Tonya Yevion is a visual artist, composer, editor, filmmaker, and activist participating in the Norwegian and international visual art, film, music, and LGBT scene. She has published articles about issues related to women, art, and the lesbian and gay community, and she has participated in political debates since 2005. As a blogger in the Norwegian newspaper Dagbladet, she started the debate as to how the inclusion of gender identity in legislation can have serious consequences on women's sex-based rights, our language, children's rights, parenthood, etc. She has also participated in the Norwegian ESC finale in 2016 with the song Laika. She has published an album called Dyke Forever and made the international lesbian anthem In Your Face and Vagina Anthem. She is the editor and producer of the book We Ate, Slept, and Drank Feminism. At the moment, Tonya is working on an album called How Woke Can You Be? I welcome Christina Ellingson and Tonya Yevion to Savage Minds. Thank you, Tonya and Christina, for coming on the show. As I mentioned to you the other day, Tonya, when I reached out to you, I've been reading about your story in disbelief. It's like one of those, am I reading The Onion? You know, and, and this whole story around these people who identify as the opposite sex, as we all know, it's anti-science, it's anti-enlightenment, but here we are in 2022, and I'll just tell you what I posted to my Facebook wall yesterday. It was a screen cap from CNN showing how women in Afghanistan can no longer go to the university because of Taliban rules. And then on the other side, it's what the women in Scotland are facing. Now, if you are in prison in Scotland, you stand a good chance of having a rapist in your cell, in your ward. This is insanity. We have a complete collapse of enlightenment values. And I was just talking to someone who works in the publishing industry. And I said, if I had my druthers, I'd rather be the women in Afghanistan who can't go to the university because the Taliban at least are more enlightened. They at least know what a woman is and they don't pretend they don't. Here we are living in the alleged liberal democracies of the West, but we're not free. None of us are free because you two can go to prison, as we're finding out, for saying that lesbians don't have penises. So I'd like to first kick off with your story about what happened to you, Tonya, and what you are facing. Uh, well, I uh, I um, I wrote uh, uh, a FB Facebook uh, post where I uh, said uh, this. Actually, I essentially it is like uh, men can't be lesbians, but uh, I wrote. Uh, Men that are permalarping to be lesbians are um, are uh, uh, perverts, and uh, they are uh, like uh, fetish. It's their fetish. So I and uh, the reason I did this is because uh, it has been a conviction in Norway where a man has been uh, convicted to 
convicted for uh, for uh, his speech because he was uh, he was uh, he was uh, saying this he he was also saying this to his friend and uh, I I mean I've been in this uh, I've been in this uh, discussion in Norway since 2017 uh, and it's like uh, I have tried in every possible way to to warn about how damaging this uh, legislation of gender identity into law of gender identity is for women and uh, especially women and and lesbians but also for the whole I mean, if you can't speak your mind, if you can't participate in the in the uh, how how like, like the debate, uh, then like uh, it's really um, yeah, it's like uh, people are getting afraid for, for speaking their mind, and we also, I mean, I have experienced how uh, the consequences of speaking my mind because I'm an artist and I have been cancelled from the art scene. And uh, this is the way the the trans activists are working. They are like uh, get they are uh, taking down one by one. And I've lost all my income. And they have tried to they reached out to my wife's uh, employees and all this, you know, all the things that they do, which is so damaging. So I thought if I I I read the conviction and I thought okay if I say the same same thing, but I attach it to my sexual orientation let's see what happens because it's maybe just um, uh, it's like I we can't win this war when nobody talks about it in the media and press but if we get into the court system uh, then people have to have to listen but of course I mean every word I said in the Facebook uh, Facebook uh, post so it's like uh, uh, I'm just I, I was expecting to somebody i was expecting a letter from the police and when i got it uh, i thought okay let's uh, bring it on and what are you facing now you're waiting to hear if you are going to be charged correct yes because i've been uh, i've been like interviewed by the police and i signed the protocol so now i'm waiting and you used a term a little bit ago you used the term larping for those of our listeners who do not know what this means, what is LARPing? It's like uh, like you're permanently role-playing being a woman. It comes from the anime online gaming industry of live-action role-playing. That's what it's short for, live-action role-playing. And many women who are critical of gender ideology say that this is what's happening. And I'm curious, maybe Christina, if you could talk about this, because... We just ran an episode with Kelly J. Keene and Heather Brunskill Evans discussing a lot of the divisions within the feminist movement in Britain, which has even taken aim at her because she goes right for the jugular. She's very clear about her stance that no men can be women. Ironically, I posted the video in many groups. And one thing happened, had very few detractors to it, but one person did push back and say, oh, that's rubbish. And then she tried to rubbish Kelly J. And I was like, can you not derail here? I went to this person's bio. I'm going to read her bio because this is showing a bit of what the problem that all of us are dealing with within this pushback to gender ideology. She writes of herself, I won't say her name, 
socialist, feminist, materialist, I refer to trans identified men who respect women as she irony dot dot dot. What's the point? What's the point? This is what we're facing. So you have women like this trying to trash Kelly J as being some horrible person because she refers to men as he. Yeah, they're just doing trans activism. They're just doing trans activism with extra steps. It's just such a waste of time of their own time of everybody's time. When you've been around in these discussions for a while, this topic, you kind of come to this, well, Kelly J is a recurring theme as well. You know, she's always been accused of being uh, an evil woman, essentially, from everybody, but also within the, within the, among women who claim to be gender critical. Um, I just think, um, I just think it's such a waste of time. They're wasting their own time and they're wasting everybody's time if they cannot understand how important it is to be able to stick to a biological definition of sex. And the fact that women are not a social construct or, you know, women are the objective reality of women is that they are adult human and female and uh, everything else are just stereotypes um and by and and this refusal or this kind of reluctancy to kind of you know to stick to this uh reality well a lot of people listening to even what both of you have said but even tonya's interpretation that these men are perverts some people will say and i'm thinking of the more tame voices coming from let's say women's place uk that platform trans identified men on the stage, they will say, well, we've got to be kind to them because we want to include women who are on the fence. We don't want to alienate people. It's just trans activism with, with more steps. It's just, I'm so disappointed in the way Women's Place UK has uh, developed in a sense. In the beginning, when I first came into this topic, they were such a great resource um for information and great perspectives and i do I, I do still think that a lot of them have very valuable perspectives but in the end if they cannot defend kelly j and if they cannot stick to this definition of what a woman is and they end up platforming autogonophilic men and they end up defending you know some people are you know some men can be, be women they are just you know they are just they're just taking us all on a detour um, and it's just uh, such a waste of time. So, yeah, no, absolutely. Uh, absolutely not. And it's quite depressing, given what's happened now this week in Scotland. No, absolutely. I just wanted to point out as well that it's, uh, it's so important what Tonya is, uh, is uh, in at the moment. I mean, I've just gone through eight, eight months of in investigations because I was reported to the police of hate speech for repeatedly saying that men are male and women are female and it's not possible to change sex like in variations of that that, that was always the bearing argument in the in the um, statements that have been reported for hate speech in my in my situation but what tony is doing is uh, well yeah and the case against me has now just been dropped after eight months mm -hmm. so that's now that's done this is clear in norway this should be clear it is not hateful it is not harassment for women to state the fact that men cannot be lesbians, men cannot be mothers, um, and it's not possible to change sex, and that women are female. You know, the, this is the objective, neutral ground, and we, in Norway at least, we do have the right to state these things. In Tonya's case, we have the neutral level 
which was the case, you know, which was the situation in my case, the statement that men are male and men cannot be lesbians. But then she's adding on another very important aspect, and that is that is insisting that the fact that men claim to be lesbians is in fact a kind a form of sexual harassment against lesbians. Absolutely. And this is something we need to defend. I mean, this is what this is what we have to defend. You know, walking around in circles, trying to you know find the kind of nice way to be friends with everybody, when in fact lesbians are being subjected to sexual harassment, and women are being subjected to sexual harassment. Um, it's just such a waste of time. This is what we have to do. We have to be able to point out situations that are harmful to women and girls and say that is a harmful situation for women and girls. And, uh, you know, all this kind of, um, oh, let's try to find moderate middle ground. It's just a waste of time. We're done. I mean, this conversation, this debate is over 10 years old by now. Um, and the damage should be clear to everybody. Uh, so, yeah, I think uh, it's now it's make a break, make it or break it. Either you stand up for women uh, and you stand with women and you and we stop wasting time on all this kind of moderating nonsense that doesn't lead anywhere. Uh, or, you know, or, or we're just we're going to look at another 10 years of the same nonsense, essentially. But it's also it's also for me it's like either you believe in uh, gendered identities or you don't believe in gendered identities. So I think what this um, uh, some women are doing is like they are, which is always uh, on the on the girls and women that we are going to be polite uh, because there are some adult men that uh, may be hurt if we tell the truth. And it's like for me to be polite when uh, these men are fetishizing being women uh, or lesbians and they are it's it's like the it's like where um, women and girls in Norway as everywhere it's like uh, if you if you say i don't believe in this uh, gendered identities and i want to have the right to reject uh, uh People's, uh, they are trying to force this belief on the whole population, and it's like uh, I just said, no, I don't, I don't believe in these uh, gender identities, and uh, I have the right to, to call out uh, men pretending to be lesbian, and also they are intimidating lesbians and women, and it's like uh, their their behavior is harmful, and it's like uh, uh, we've got to use the tools, which is the language, to. Uh, point out that what you are doing is fetishizing being a woman, being a lesbian. And it's, uh, I don't accept it. It's not acceptable. But you still have so many people in what I've called the nice feminist movement that are playing both sides of this. I was quite shocked to learn that Julie Bendel's latest book refers to these men as she. And I'm thinking, wait a second. We are freelancers. We have the ability to say no and to stop using this language because I remind people all the time, part of the reason why we're in this shit is because we started to use this language in the first place. It was yeah. the slowly boiling frog paradigm where it began in the early 90s with girlfriend and they were taking these very sexist, quite dangerous tropes from old school sexism and recycling them onto drag queens or onto people that they go back and say we're really transgender, but we know that was bullshit. 
there is this camp, just like a lot of the Women's Place UK and Bindel and others, who believe that there is such a thing as really being transgender. Part of the nut of the situation we're in, I'd say it is the epicenter of the situation. It's what I've noticed in my work on this issue over the past 11 years almost, is that this is a situation that has been largely ushered in by both the gay community, our people, at least, at least my people, I would say that Tonya and I are firmly in camp lesbian. And this community, quote unquote community, has ushered forth this narrative of adding the tea on that happened in the late 90s. And it wasn't coincidental to the release of Crixivan, which was a drug that allowed AIDS sufferers to live a full long life as if they had type 2 diabetes. Okay, so we've got that situation where the tea was added on like a caboose on a train. And then the larger problem we're facing, what I call the nut of the situation, is that we have many feminists like those associated with Women's Place UK, Julie Bindel, unfortunately chose to gender these men as she, referring to men as she. And I'm thinking, wait a sec, these are own goals. We can't make the argument that gender is harmful and then do, as I mentioned earlier from that woman on Facebook who thinks she's a historical materialist and a leftist, but there's nothing leftist about calling men she. We've got a, a camp of women who think that they're staking out the more reasonable terrain and making the argument for a reasonable embrace of those true transgender victims. But in reality... We can't have it both ways. We can't say on the one hand that gender is a social construct. It's harmful to women. It's harmful to girls. It's also harmful to men and boys in far less damaging ways because of the way that power affects our oppression and not theirs, generally speaking. And then on the other hand, we've got these women saying, oh, but our BFFs are included. Let's let them into the women's prison. Let's let them into our sports changing room. Let's let them into... Yeah, it's such, a bu it's such bullshit and it's such waste of everybody's time again. Like, I, um, I, but who else was going to stand up for this man, if not women? I mean, there is only women who can take on this kind of nurturing, bridge building kind of role in this in this kind of you know in this uh, discourse and it's it is really disappointing to see people fall for that trap you know and and kind of and fall straight into that expectation of them being the nurturing the the mediators um and sort of peacemakers it's a it's a waste of time i mean the, the fundamental rea reality here is that there is no way for a man to claim to be a woman without relying on stereotypes that are harmful to women and girls and so and you know also harmful to men um it implies that you that it's possible to disqualify from your own sex which is you know both really very intolerant and also a physical impossibility i think we can't really rely on like the cult of personality within this movement like following people or following brands as if they are going to be guaranteed to sort of come with a qualified message in a sense. It's also, you know, it's also a bit delusional. The whole problem here is that, that we are lazy. Like people have become so lazy. We have 
so much information available from every direction. And I think people have just in many ways taken like critical thinking and verifying their arguments in a sense. They've just taken all those things for granted. Or I think one of the most important things that women can do now is to build a, up their own uh, arguments and build up, you know, be able to articulate their own arguments based on their own sources and to find those sources or find those logical reasonings uh, and not rely on anybody's, you know, just because somebody said it or just because it was here or there. Yeah, so I just, I, uh, I just wanted to point out that as well, like, well, it is interesting how so many people will get behind this and say, but Bindel was just trying to reach across the aisle to those who were maybe on the fence. But it's like, wait a second. Let's just imagine a world where the person who has accused Tonya of a hate crime is Julie Bindel's best friend. You see, that's the paradigm yeah. that no one wants to consider because it doesn't matter. I've been saying this for years. It's not like I go into bathrooms with my brother and I say, he's good. Trust him. He's my brother. He's not going to rape you. No one does that because it's not that you and I think that all men are rapists. But the reality is we have the division of space because history and science, yes, science, meaning statistics, shows us the sex that rapes and the sex that is raped. I don't need to explain. And I'm getting sick of the feminists who say, well, women have been sexualized. I don't need to have the litmus test of being raped to then have the right to say, I don't want a man in my space. No, absolutely. I have the right to say no men here because I'm saying no men here. And somehow our rights have been rolled back. I think women in the 1950s had more rights than us today. No, no, absolutely. And I think the whole purpose of laws is to be able to identify the situations uh, that, that people may potentially be in and then to have like, you know, to be able to address those situations on a rational, in a rational way, whether that is like theft or, uh, you know, fraud. Uh, and for women, the whole challenge has always been that Women, the situations that women have the potential to, to find themselves in have always been invisible because everything is written out from the male perspective. And men do not, it is not possible to exploit men sexually and reproductively in the way that it's possible to exploit women and girls. Of course not. We saw this in the last three years. I have written extensively on lockdown. Lockdown Yes, the yeah. proof in the pudding that sexism exists. And this is how I can prove it to you right now. I live in the country of hell where lockdown made mental health care cases for the next few decades. The government in Italy has rolled out what it calls the psychology bonus. Never, of course, giving the backdrop to Italians who think that if you're told to go to a psychologist that you're effectively saying you're mentally crazy. But no, the government has just rolled this out because there's massive mental ill health in this country because of incarcerating people. Now, let me tell you what happened. It's the same thing that happened there in a way, but far worse here. Within two weeks, what we heard on the TV and radio was when people can go to their second homes, okay, how insulting, when men can go back to see and play football, mm -hmm. and then Pornhub was giving them free subscriptions. Yeah, my God. The slap in the face to live in a country where renters weren't considered, where freelancers like myself, we were starving ourselves, and 
where children's rights mattered zero because women's rights matter even less than children's rights. They no, used exactly, they wrote yeah. out the grandparents to lock us up like murderers in a prison. And then they used that human shield of the grandparent. Meanwhile, they knew all along who was going to be giving up their work, giving up their freedom, giving up their time. It was women. Absolutely. I've not met one man in Italy. I've not met one man who had to give up his work because his wife was going to work, because he had to take care of the kids, who had to do the shopping, who had to sleep two hours a night. This is what I lived through. My health went out the window with lockdown because I had to stop being me for two years of my life. All because the government decided that women's lives didn't matter. Because if it weren't for women and this lockdown had been put on male shoulders, because the next time they do a lockdown, I want it written into law that every damn thing happening during lockdown has to be happening by men and women are going to be at home getting massages, pedicures by men <laughs> would never have happened. I can tell you this much. No, but next time, if this COVID lockdowns, lockdown is going to come around again, we have to insist that it's men who needs to be put in, in lockdown because statistically it shows that COVID affects them more than twice as much as it affects women. <laughs> so there is a sex a sex aspect to the how that how COVID <laughs> kind of progresses in a body. Yeah. And I think this is our opportunity. This is our opportunity. Women, we just have to insist that men have to stay at home. Mm -hmm. They are, need to be locked in. And then we go in, we can run society. It's no problem. Yeah, yeah. But you know that they would never agree to this. Suddenly, that, that, that science would go out the window, as most of the science has this past three years. I think, I think it is... Uh, I think it is... Uh, um, yeah, I, I think it is interesting how... The sex differences of COVID in itself has been largely ignored. You know, both in terms of how the vaccines have a, um, how um, uh, side effects of the vaccines haven't they haven't uh, accounted for how how uh, female reproductive health um, need you know how side effects relating to female reproductive health that should have been like uh, one of the options that uh, doctors can sort of report in from their patients and that's not been the case so when women in Norway started reporting having being affected um, or reported that their menstrual cycles had, uh, had, had become affected after the vaccines there was no way to kind of to report that in in a systematic and sort of prepared way instead They've had to sort of account on this, on collecting like analogies and like in anecdotes. I mean, they've had to rely on collecting anecdotal evidence. But of course, uh, side effects that refers to reproductive health should always be like an easily available option for doctors who are reporting side effects. Uh, and uh, the fact that it isn't there is one of the examples of how like women are already experiencing sexist, you know, sexism in be being made invisible in statistics and in like formal settings. Uh, even before we start talking about the catastrophe of like uh, self ID uh, and the replacement of an objective understanding of sex with this subjective concept gender identity. But the funny thing about this, funny, not haha, funny, ironic, is that we're back to being able to discuss women and men. And this is the fucked up problem that we've all been living through. We were in lockdown watching them talk about the rates of those infected, the sex, the age. These were scientific facts. 
but yet you, plural, and I, we cannot discuss men in your country without risking prison. This is so fucked up. So it's a very pick and choose science, isn't it? Where they were able to say the myocarditis due to vaccines in this age range of males was at this percentage, according to this study. They knew what males they were talking about. We didn't have to say, excuse me, Dr. Smith, did you mean males with a vagina or with a penis? Excuse me, I need that clarified. Excuse me, Elsevier. Yeah, exactly. No, it's, we've been conned and all of society has been conned because there are a lot of people who have only recently opened their eyes to what's going on. There are still more people pushing gender ideology and the masses of them are women. And this is a movement. This is the second wave of gender identity movement. The first move movement being in the late 20th century, driven by fake science, driven by misogynistic science from the 1950s that decided that Christina Jorgensen was really a woman because he wanted to wear dresses. Okay. Now, since when has a a patient gone to a doctor and said, I believe I'm this. And the doctor goes to all his or his, his or her lengths to find a remedy for a fiction. It's never happened. Gender identity is the only narrative in scientific literature that has been responded to in ways that we've never seen before. If I went to a doctor, let's say, and there's that famous Warner Brothers uh, cartoon where you have the cricket that can sing. And so the guy wants to show the producer on uh, Hollywood that the cricket can sing and he brings the cricket. He unleashes the cricket from the glass jar and the cricket doesn't sing. And the producer kicks him out of the theater and then the cricket starts singing in the alleyway behind the theater. And the guy's like, why didn't you sing before? Well, we're sort of there with this ideology in the sense of it's been pushed from a very sexist moment in collective Western history, the 1950s, it was especially sexist in North America due to the atomic age, post-World War II, women being shoved back into the domestic sphere from the airplane factories, from the munition factories. They were told, no more work for you. Get dolled up. Get in the kitchen. We'll give you a blender. We'll give you some Betty Crocker. You don't have to cook anymore. Just open that box, pour that mix in, add water. Look, you're a modern age woman in the kitchen. And we saw at the same time as this in the 1950s, the rise of alcoholism. Women became massively alcoholic in the U.S. in the 1950s. There was a huge rise in that and of the use of certain drugs. It wasn't the opioid epidemic of the past two decades that we've seen in North America, but it was the Valium epidemic. And there was a huge Valium epidemic in the U.S. And it was a lot of women in that epidemic. Yeah, absolutely. Women were uncaged during the Second World War, allowed to be free while their husbands were over fighting a war. Then they were put back into the cage, then told to stuff it, live with it. Then we have today where those prognoses about gender identity have turned from the one in a million man who wants to wear fishnet stockings or a skirt or think of himself, and that was called true gender dysphoria, I have issues with this, to now we are being told as a society that if we don't mirror these men, then we are hateful, we want to kill them, we want to deny their existence. I'm not denying their existence. I think, like both of you, 
that there is a fetish at the heart of gender identity, of the prognosis for what it means to be gender, even the diagnosis of gender dysphoria. It is a fully mis, mis uh, I'm sorry, I'm thinking of the wrong way, uh, misogynist term. It is a misogynist ideology to say that anyone can feel like a woman, should be treated like a woman, and what does that mean? I have given birth to three children. I do not know what it means to feel like a woman. I don't feel I am a woman. I don't want to be treated like a woman. Isn't that what our grandparents and my mother and your mothers fought against? I don't want to be treated like a woman. And this is the paradox in the most fucked up ideology I've seen in my entire life. Because we saw, all of us saw what happened to Rachel Dalitzal when she claimed to be a black woman. She was laughed out of her job. She was laughed out of polite society because everyone knew she was not black. Now, how is it that the same women that laugh at Rachel Dolezal are now applauding men in dresses? This is a mass hysteria. No, absolutely. And I also think there's an interesting element here of uh, like this naive utopian uh, understanding or misunderstanding of what's medically and technically possible. Like, I think people kind of, they, they, they kind of buy into this fantasy that we are such a technologically developed society that now we know how to modify human bodies in ways that are in fact not possible. So um, there's this kind of megalomaniac uh, you know, like this is level of me megalomania in a sense, like this uh, grand grandiose delusion that we that we are able to do things that is physically not possible. I mean, there there has been developed developments with you know CRISPR and antibiotics, but the level of technical and medical intervention that's necessary in order to physically actually be able to make to turn a man into a woman. It's so far beyond. It's so far away from what it, where we are now. Like it really does involve the the revolutionary level of being able to change a human being into like a chimpanzee. Like it is on level with with changing the species of an organism, and we are we are nowhere. Like we are nowhere close to those to to you know to that reality so when people run around sort of applauding this idea and it's also like they're trying to sort of applaud uh you know as if humanity has reached level of technical control over nature that is simply not possible and which is simply a delusion and i also think um uh, and also i just i think we're doing everybody such a misfavor by going along because um people who the people who will go for these surgeries and will fall for these lies are vulnerable they may be motivated by fetishes they may not be motivated by fetishes they may be motivated by mental illness or not it doesn't really matter the reality is that it's not physically possible to achieve whatever it is they are being told that they can achieve. Uh, and for all of us to sort of, to, you know, to have this kind of apathy around the disaster it is that, that we've normalized these mass 
you know, sterilizing experiments on vulnerable people is absolutely despicable. Like, I, I, I feel so ashamed to be part of a generation that are accepting, you know, that, that are standing by, sort of shrugging their shoulders as we are enabling this, this experimental money-hugging clinics to pop up everywhere. Uh, the results are going to be devastating. The results are devastating because they are selling a lie. And uh, you don't have to be a biotechnology and, you know, like you don't have to have a degree in biology to know that this is a lie. If it had been possible to change sex, the story would not have been the story of Christian, Christine Jorgensen. You know, it would be such a revolutionary story. Like it would, it would have a completely different place in our history. And the story of Christine Jorgensen is like you're saying, it's, it is just, a, it is a misogynist, fundamentally sexist story that equates women to being like castrated men. And I don't know like how you can how you can express a bigger disrespect to women than to, to compare them to castrated men, essentially. Yes, and the woman face that goes on in it, because I'll see some activists who say, well, this isn't like racism. Well, it it, it exactly is. And they say, well, we don't get to choose our race. Well, you don't choose your sex either. No, exactly. It's very offensive. If I see someone doing blackface at a party, it's just as offensive to me as someone pretending to be a woman at a party or in real life. Actually, I prefer drag queens. Drag queens were at least on stage, right? Well, they are saying that that drag is kind of challenging gender roles, but it is as unsuccessful at challenging gender roles as blackface is at challenging racism. When I was aware of this, it was like in 2017. And uh, the reason I was aware of it was that the Socialist Party in uh, Norway were inviting Julia Bindel to their uh, women conference. And then the heterosexual and uh, gay men in the Socialist Party, they claimed uh, she was uh, a transphobe. So they, they, it ended that like the, the women conference, they, de-invited uh, Julia Bindel uh, so that she they no platform platformed her and this was like what is actually happening I was this is like the social socialist party and then I think the, the reason why they are doing this because uh, I it's they are like um, what they want is this abusive culture because the the uh, queer organization in uh, Norway and also everywhere they are like pushing uh, the legis- legalization legit- yeah, legislation of sur- surrogacy and also they want to uh, they uh, like this pimping uh, the uh, prostitution so it's like I mean Julie Bindel is the expert on what kind of damage prostitution does to women uh, mm. And they uh, they want to they don't want to uh, uh, women and p- people to listen to what she has experienced and what she has written about. So it's like uh, for me, I I call this uh, LGBT organization I call it the queer patriarchy because it has been like um, they have been uh, allowed to to. Uh, 
to have this uh, abusive culture because what we also know, I guess you also know this, uh, Julian, because it's like we have this um, older uh, uh, or adult gay men and they have been abusing younger uh, homosexual men. And nobody nobody talks about it because we are told that we have to protect our our group. But what we are really protecting uh, and uh, is like the abusive uh, adult men in this culture. So it's like uh, what they are, what these organizations are uh, are uh, working for is what they want is like uh, to have uh, to have access to uh, people's bodies. And it's like, uh, and they take down every wo- woman who is like, uh, who has, who is like an expert on this field, so that people won't uh, understand what it's, wh- what kind of damage it is. And they are also, every time they are like uh, on the TV or in in uh, newspapers, it's like this uh, uh, emotional blackmail. And it's like, uh, it's just feelings, a lot of, lot of, lot of feelings, and like adult men crying. And it's like. Uh, in, I'm so, uh, in a way, shocked that women are, they are like, oh, poor you adult man. It's like, and these men, they are, they are to, to take us down, they are doing the same. It's abusive culture. They are, they are calling us things. They are saying we are like uh, Nazis. We are hateful. We are, and it's, it's really, a, it's just a homophobic, uh, misogynistic uh, bunch of uh, heterosexual and uh, homosexual men and their handmaidens. So it's like I'm, I'm, and you can't say that there are some of them are. I, I don't. You can't uh, do like uh, exceptions. It's like it's just not true. Nobody, no man can be a woman, and the way they are intimidating girls women and everybody who is like uh, say i don't want to take part in this religion belief or ideology is uh, it's uh, so devastating so it's like we just have to get it out of the legislation because it's so abusive in sweden they recognize the danger of implementing this kind of ideology on young children they have through lisa Littman's work on rogd rapid onset gender dysphoria which I have maintained, and I've spoken to Lisa about this, that I think rapid onset gender dysphoria, it's a shortcut term for adolescent social contagion. But let's be clear, we've all seen the social contagion, especially amongst 20-somethings, because your brain is not fully formed until your late 20s. I've seen the contagion even amongst people in their 40s, because there is something about the pecking order of socialization in a world where people have been locked down also, that we all want to belong to something bigger than us. So what's a greater thing to belong to? Since you can't get a job, you can barely survive on what salaries are offered, but you can change the world through words. So can you both call me Zer? Can you both call me? There was an NPR interview with one of these folks years ago where she claimed her pronoun was truck. So can you call me Lori? I'll do the British version of that. Call me Lori, not L-A-U-R-I-E, but L-O-R-R-Y. So, you know, we're, we're in performative narcissism. And all of this performativity is having a knock-on effect on our rights, both really in real time and symbolically, because if I have to see another time someone say, I want to be treated like a woman, I want both of you to tell me what it's like to be treated like a woman. Tell me, tell me, because I just want to know what that means. Yeah, that's a good question. Just be a woman and be treated 
that's what it means to be treated as a woman. It's not, you know, women are not a set of uh, mannerisms or a set of behavior or thought patterns or dress code or aesthetics. So the entire idea that you can be treated as a woman, every time you ask, you you see, you try to look at what they mean by saying that, they are they are systematically referring to the most sexist and degrading uh, stereotypes of what women, what how men see women. So it's a it's a ridiculous thing to claim. I just want to circle back to what you're talking about in terms of like the intentions behind this movement that is sort of attacking, you know, that is leading to the the uh, erasure of women's rights. I think it's very difficult to, or I, I don't really, I don't care about intentions. Like it's, I'm not a thought reader, like I'm not telepathic. I can't really, and I don't think it makes a difference what kind of motivations either the medical industry or whoever have for doing these things. I mean, the motivations of people or organizations are essentially always the same anyway. It's, you know, it's um, obtaining resources, it's gaining a profit, it's uh, you know growing in power. That that will always be the motivation anyway. I think it's far more useful in a sense not to look at what their intentions are, but simply to look at the what the effects of the politics that they are promoting is. What are those effects? Uh, and this is where it becomes so evident that the effects they are happening because women's needs have not been considered at any point. Uh, for any of these political changes. And the reason women's uh, rights and needs have not been considered is because we live in a patriarchy. A patriarchy is a systematic, is a systematic, uh, no, is the systematic prioritization of men's comfort over women's reality and needs. That's what a patriarchy is. And it's upheld systematically in the end by violence. And this is what we're seeing from the trans activist movements all the time. First of all, it's the prioritization of men's need and you know, men's comfort over women's reality. And then when push comes to shove, it turns violent towards women in order to maintain that system. And I think the patriarchy as a motivation still doesn't explain why this, uh, this development or this phenomenon is happening. I think it's happening because it can happen. I move away from using patriarchy as a model because I don't think it does explain that, especially since this movement is being driven by women, including fellow lesbians. No, it doesn't explain the motivation, but it, it does explain the kind of medium that this is growing in, you know, that this cultural phenomenon is, is gaining nurturance and gaining support uh, and, you know, and, and is allowed to sort of grow as a culture because it's happening in an environment in a medium in a gross medium that is that is consists you know that consists of a patriarchal systematic prioritization of men even to the point of violence against women um in combination with the usual things which is uh, you know unstoppable greed uh, the you know the the attempts to control re resources you know the usual capitalist stuff uh so I, I think we don't need to we don't need to find a, a bad motivation 
and then the proof of their bad motivation will then prove that what they're doing is wrong. We don't actually need to go that route. We can just look at the effects of what's happening, not caring about, not even knowing about their intentions and still see that this is just fundamentally undermining the existing, existing rights of women and girls and the, it's undermining the children's rights uh, of protection. And uh, it can be useful to, to look at, you know, to look at sort of, um, it can of course be useful to look at motivations like the work of Jennifer Bielek and I suppose you as well. Like you can, you can find further support of this phenomenon being, being not, not happening in good faith. Like it's not happening as a sort of grassroots movement driven by people's actual needs. You know, it's driven by this combination of narcissism being funded by, you know, organizations who have a, who have a motivation to gain profit. And that, and the fact that, the, uh, and I think it's um, further kind of enabled precisely by this policing of language um, and, um, uh, and especially this systematic, you know, like how we always ignore women, women who, who pro women who protest are always ignored and are always trivialized anyway. But the fact that women are the ones promote, you know, kind of bear doing all the legwork for, you know, doing the majority or doing a lot of this legwork, that's not like unique to this phenomenon either. Like uh, human trafficking for the sex industry, I think 75% of women who are recruited into human trafficking for the sex industry are recruited by women. And also, I think, um, and also I think so it was very interesting to see the Nexium case, you know, the, the self-help slash BDSM uh, multi-level marketing scam. You, you know the case I'm talking about? The man, uh, there's been, you know, there was recently, there's a, so there was recently, this big self-help organization called Nexium, which was uh, uh, which kind of began as this kind of self-help group. Uh, over time, they created a feminist-ish, you know, like under the pretense of being feminist, they created a feminist faction of that self-help group, and that feminist faction was essentially used to recruit women in the organization to become sex slaves to the man who was kind of hailed as the leader of this, um, of this organization. Um, uh, there is a documentary about it out on HBO Max or something uh, called The Vow. And again, this, um, in, this, in that organization, it just, you see again this repeating pattern. Women are doing the legwork to, to kind of meet the meet the, essentially the banal sexual needs of men uh, at cost for their own safety and at the cost of the safety of women and girls around them and actively being the ones recruiting and defending this process and just because women are doing that it doesn't mean that the system that they are enabling isn't patriarch you know isn't the patriarchy that is the you know that is what the patriarchy is it is a system where men's comfort is prioritized at all costs over women, over the reality and needs of women and girls. And I think uh, that's what's happening here as well.
You're listening to Savage Minds, and we hope you're enjoying the show. Please consider subscribing. We don't accept any money from corporate or commercial sponsors, and we depend upon listeners and readers just like you. Now, back to our show. I agree with the definition of patriarchy in that sense. I just think that there are some black holes within it. For instance, the fact that one of the UK's top feminists is referring to these men as she throughout a book. Well, except that, that's why that's why I bring up these uh, these phenomena where women are are the ones who are recruiting to to you know situations where that are harmful to women, and it doesn't really matter you know in a, I mean, and I don't want to compare Julie Bindle to somebody recruiting women for human trafficking because obviously that nothing could be further from the truth, but I do think it's not uncommon. You know, I think it's significant how it is not very uncommon that women are the ones who will do the necessary legwork in order to protect situations or systems that are detrimental to women and girls. And I think anybody can be in that situation. You know, it's not like anybody's holy. Uh, um, yeah, you know, and I think especially, I think the left in many ways, women in the left are in many ways very vulnerable to this kind of exploitation Precisely because the left have historically been the ones where women could turn or where feminists could turn in order to implement politics, you know, implement the kind of politics that women need for the liberation. However, I think women can never forget that they cannot, you know, they cannot bring politics to their feminism. It always has to be the other way around. Women have to bring feminism to politics. And the moment like women are put in this position where, where they're essentially doing the legwork for a political party instead of demanding that these parties do the legwork for them as feminists, then, then they are just wasting their time, essentially. A lot of people looking at the gender identity movement will always say, well, it's not just men. You're erasing the women who identify as men. There is a problem with their reading of this, because the reason why men identify as transgender is very different than the reasons why women identify as transgender. Can you discuss that a bit? Well, I just, I, again, I think the motivations doesn't matter for any of them. Like, it doesn't matter because, first of all, it's not, you know, what they are trying to describe isn't true anyway. But I think uh, the reading is wrong because they're talking about, you know, because it takes the premise that somehow, yeah, the motivation would make a difference, but it doesn't make a difference. And what we're talking about here is how the laws in society, like how laws and how culture in society recognizes, respects and uphold the rights and needs of women. And uh, in both those cases, it is, it is necessary to reclassify human beings as asexual. You know, you see it when, when, when language needs, you know, when they propose to create like this kind of inclusive, trans-inclusive uh, languages in medical texts. The result is that the female body is reduced to body parts and body functions. And that is because those functions, you know, because, um, um, but, you know, the, the damage here, I mean, the damage should be evident, 
the damage is that we are we can't stop talking about women like and women and women's bodies and the situations that women that applies to women we still need to be able to describe all those things the only thing that happens is that we we exchange the word woman which refers to a whole human being with this kind of dehumanized parts and functions and that is that is what discrimination and the erasure of women that's how it that's what that looks like so that i think that's the the premise here isn't you know why do people do these things like that I, to me that to me at least that doesn't matter the only thing that matters is that in a society for a human being or for a group of people to be included in society the laws need to be able to recognize them as human beings and uh, trans activism is sort of imitating that principle uh, with the consequence but with the like complete opposite effect the effect is that women are reduced to body parts and body functions which do not i don't you know which is which does the opposite than to uh, identify their humanity and to include them into society it does the exact opposite but then um, uh, and the same for you know a lot of you know all the situations that women experience uh, are are made invisible and because they only apply to women and because we do live in a, in societies where men are the implicit model for everything the result is that women are erased and it doesn't you know it doesn't matter if uh, if it is because they really believe it or not this should not the this possibility that no the the situation we are in should not have been could not have been a possibility no could not have been a result in a society that actually respected women and girls and actually respected the existing rights of women and girls but you know that this lobby is mirroring the same arguments we make they're saying you're erasing us absolutely absolutely yeah but that's in the nature of the whole thing i mean that's what transactivism is it is a movement that imitates everybody else's social rights movement you know they absolutely everybody else's it's like you know it's it, very similar in how these men imitate women like then it just that principle it just runs through the entire ideology they are simply imitating everybody else's social rights movements um and yeah essentially what they do you know essentially it is like they are they're doing the same thing as uh, what a virus does and I'm, i don't mean them as per people i'm just saying this ideology has the same kind of functions as viruses have which is that they imitate the the replicative you know the the mechanisms of replications uh to such a degree that um the the cell or the system that they sort of come in contact with will copy and repeat whatever they say to the point that the cell or to the you know to the point where they essentially take over and i think this is what you know and the and the the reason it's it's possible for viruses to succeed that way is because they are successful enough at imitating the system that they are appropriating that they sort of normal the no, the mechanisms to sort of identify and and protect against it they fail 
And I think that's exactly what's happened in many ways. Well, that's why, you know, one of the reasons why queer, queer theory and trans ideology has been so successful is because they have, it's successfully imitating um, so many aspects of, you no, know, they're, they're imitating the mechanisms of every organization that they, they come in contact with. So they will sort of go to the heart of like, you know, yeah, well, for the feminist movement, you know, they, they're just imitating that this is about um, ending whatever, or the gay movement, they've been trying to, you know, they've always been trying to imitate whatever that's about. And the same with racism, like they are desperately placing themselves in the midst of all those social movements, imitating the, the, the same thing. And whether or not they do that purposefully or not, I don't really care. I don't think that makes a difference, but it is something that is working and that's, so it will continue as long as they sort of imitate whatever else is working, it will just continue to be that. I agree. However, it makes it a hall of mirrors. It's almost as if you're in one of those 80s films where the protagonist has been cloned and they're each saying, I'm you. No, I'm you. It's very perverse for us as women. Yeah, but people just need to snap out of it because we all know what a woman is and we all know what women's rights and needs are. You know, and we, we know there's a difference between a girl and a 40-year-old man claiming to be a girl. Like, we know those things. So I think, um, uh, the, you know, it has the pretense of being something complicated, but it really isn't. And we already have all the tools we need in order to to protect women in the situation. And all we need to do is to pick up those tools and use them. And I think that's what both me and Tonya are trying to do here. We're trying to go to the edge of what is actually legal already, you know, not to obey, obey in advance. We're using the tools that already exist. And we want to, to then kind of, you know, we want to show that we do actually have leeway here. I mean, I know the story is presented as if Okay, so now it's become so, so now, you know, the lesbian artist in Norway is uh, facing the risk of jail time. And that is absolutely the case. But there is such a lot of leeway between, you know, between, I mean, there's so many people who are just so afraid of saying anything, like who's self-censoring. And there's so much leeway between what she is doing and what I'm doing and what people have the room and freedom to do uh, already without even getting close to that. Like you don't have to walk around militantly exclaiming what we are exclaiming, uh, but, it, but not being afraid or not being intimidated uh, from taking part in this discussion, that there is space here to take part in this discussion, you know, without facing uh, police uh, persecution and people really need to use those rights or they're going to lose those rights. Oh, I wholeheartedly agree. But I wanted to ask Tonya a question I referred to earlier about what has gone on within our quote unquote community of LGB. I was reading your intro and I kept thinking I too would have once said I was part of this community, but now I disavow it entirely. I have for many years actually, even before I got involved in the trans issue simply because I saw the conservatism in the heart of the quote-unquote lesbian and gay community that later added the B, whatever. Uh, I had a real problem 
with so many issues from what I was living in New York at the time and the super conservatism and capitalism at the heart of the movement where gay pride in New York City year after year, and I'm going back to the late 80s and early 90s, was about advertising a radio show, a Broadway play, an airlines industry. It was never really about liberation. Not really. That and and when it was about liberation, it became about cliches. Hence, every gay pride in New York City begins with dykes on bikes. The only time you'll ever see that lesbians matter is lesbians on Harley Davidson's going down Fifth Avenue. Well, we know that the rest of the year, no one gives a shit about these women because they are still gay bashed, etc. They are still being told that they're erasing trans women are women. So we've got a paradox within our own community, I would say, Tonya, where at the one hand, we're being told that we belong to this community. And, and, you know, if we push back against it, somehow that's verboten. On the other hand, we really do, I think, need to say, well, no, I politely decline your invitation. I don't agree with the community because the least interesting thing about me is my sexuality. That's something I say constantly. I don't think my sexuality is at all interesting, except maybe to my partner. (laughs) Do you think that there has been maybe going too far over in the performativity of sexuality from our quote unquote community that's brought a lot of this on? Such as, I'll give you an example, the way that drag queens were highlighted in the throes of gay and lesbian rights. Yeah, uh, um, to me, it's like uh, I, well, from I was 16, I, I was like um, going to these nightclubs for gay and lesbians. And uh, we also uh, had a nightclub for, for lesbians only. So for me, this was like the heaven because I wanted to uh, meet uh, lesbians and I wanted to, yeah, you know, and to have this uh, lesbians only was really uh, heaven. But then, uh, because there you could also like, uh, and all this, uh, it was young and old uh, lesbians and we were like uh, playing with roles, flirting, dancing, doing what people do at night nightclubs. But um, I've never been actually part of the organizations. I've just been part of the culture. So I, I, I used the culture as a young person who wants to meet uh, other lesbians. And to me, this was this was really it was I enjoyed it. It was it it was really good. But then, um, and also there, I mean, sometimes there were like what we call transsexuals men there, but they were they never uh, demanded that we uh, address them as women or said they were women. So it's at, at some point this, and I also. Since I'm an artist, I was like uh, I was uh, taking part in making events for lesbians with uh, like making performances, art performances, and things like this. So it's I uh, I was into this in the creative uh, way, but then at the, when we at the millennium something changed and uh, the whole community got more hostile towards women and uh, this agenda uh, changed and. Uh, I and my wife, we tried to object. We we were criticizing it, and it's. I have the same experience as you. It's like I've been to lots of prides, and uh, it's. Uh, I mean, ninety percent men. 
So it's they just use uh, lesbians as an excuse to have uh, to be like a LGB society to get the money so that they can have these places where they meet. So it's like uh, for me it's okay that of course gay men have places to meet but don't uh, they are like uh, pretending uh, these organizations also have been for lesbians but they actually hasn't and all the money like in Norway there are tens of millions and all the money uh, are going to the to the men and also the heterosexual men because they are so vulnerable so it's like uh, for me it's like i would really I was talking about I was uh, I have been like connecting with all the lesbians in Norway feminists who was like um, they had this uh, women house where they met and they were like part of the uh, the liberation for women in the 70s and 80s and then it's like to have places uh, for women only uh, and for lesbians only is really important and today it's like we are not allowed to have this because we if we announce that we are going to have a uh, 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 an event for women only or lesbians only, then the trans activists will come and say, can I be invited? And we say, no, because you're not a woman. And they and then they do the things they do. They stalk the, the place where we will have the event. And then it all always ends with this, uh, okay, we can't... Actually, in Norway, it's not longer possible for women uh, women only events or lesbian only events. That's, that's, that's where we are in the histories. It's very depressing also because I don't know if you followed the recent news coming out of Sweden, but the Swedish health yeah. authorities have broken ranks with the World Professional Association for Transgender Health. And this is a good thing. And I tell you why. I've been covering WPATH, even though the big piece I've been working on is still not out. It takes so much research, but I've done the footwork to trace this back to the Harry Benjamin Society, all the way back to John Money. Because the WPATH is a lobby group, end of subject. It is not a unbiased organization with diverse voices. It is a lobby group that only advances one thing, and that is dangerous. That's not scientific. If I want to start a flat earth society, for instance, okay, I have my flat earth society, but I cannot claim to be an organization of rational, objective, scientific views from across the field of earth sciences, from geology to geography to astronomy, if the only people I let into the Flat Earth Society are, in fact, flat earthers. WPATH is the Flat Earth Society of Gender. And this is something that has troubled me since I started investigating its penetration into medical industries across the Western world, and they have penetrated in your country. Given that Sweden has broken ranks with WPATH, why is Norway not able to do the same? Obviously, you're different governments, I get that. But there is a shared heritage of a certain kind of political criticism in Scandinavian countries that has permeated even social health, public health with the exception of lockdown uh i think i think one one thing we have we have to explain also is like norway have the most extreme uh, self id uh, law it's like uh, children from they are 6 years old uh can change their legal sex with only one parent the consent of only one parent and just 
like for me this is so uh dangerous because you have like parenthood and the parents protecting their chil- children and now they made this law that it's actually possible for for if one of the parents uh accept that uh, it's uh, we should confirm our little girl's uh, legal sex as a boy and the other parents says no then you have like okay and what is going to happen how can they live together uh, can can the one parent who is like confirming the kids uh, new identity can can like uh, use uh, the other parents uh, disbelief so if they are going to be separated like uh, the other parents is uh, is like damaging the kid so it's like I mean, the, the Norwegian government. I think it's not possible to not be aware of the how things are changing in Sweden and also in the UK and in Finland. Uh, but it's um, in Norway. The media and the politicians they they have uh, they refuse to talk about this issue. Uh, they pretend uh, it's not there, and they pretend that. Uh, all these um, discussions in other countries and also the changes uh, that has been going on in Sweden it's uh, it's it's just like they pretend uh, we don't uh, understand we don't uh, uh, it's it's not there so it's I, I can't uh, for me it's like uh, when you have uh, this they have decided that uh, the legislation of gender identity they are aware of the damage damage uh, but it's like um, i don't know we, we're in a state where like the media and the politicians uh, do not uh, uh, they don't uh, talk about it they don't uh, refer refer to what is happening so then i i i that's also why i we have to get this into the legal system to be able to highlight the damage, to be able to highlight what is actually happening and how it affects the whole population. They just haven't noticed yet because they haven't objected. So I don't know. I think maybe Christina knows more about this. There's just an article out now in Norway uh, where the private clinic and uh, the private providers of so-called transgender healthcare uh, is in, uh, you know, is interviewed alongside the national health provider of so-called transgender um, healthcare. And they're both referring to WPATH as sort of, you know, being like the international guidelines. Uh, And the private provider is uh, accusing the national provider of being transphobic and, you know, um, but none of them, it seems like somehow none of them have um, uh, have realized that Sweden has looked at all this information surrounding puberty blockers, for instance, and have now dropped, have dropped the use of puberty blockers in children. And they have stepped away from these national gu- guidelines. Christine, of course they realized it. They just, they just don't talk about it. And I think also we have to talk about how they are targeting children, because this is what is so... Uh, annoying and yeah, but it's like we're saying. That's what I, you know, they are not. At least the 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 article is making no mention of the developments with regards to the 
to the to WPATH. And none of them, of course, are referring to the fact that in the latest edition, they included they included Unix as a gender identity. You know, castrated men is now presented as a gender identity and also a gender identity that children can have. And that's, you know, as if that wasn't bad enough. That inclusion has happened after the influence from a fetish forum for men who has a fetish for the castration, you know, uh, who has a castration fetish. Um, they even had like the there's a top academic who has founded this fetish site, and he was there at W at the W Path symposium this uh, autumn, talking about you know talking as if he as if he is like a credible source for anything he was there at this symposium this fall talking about the gender identity of unix and i just i just can't believe that anybody can take that organization serious whatsoever well i recently had an interview with leo sapir from new york that you both should listen to because he talks about something that I've written about too, but it's so nice when you find someone that says the same thing because you think I'm not crazy. This is what it is. Let's pretend we're going to role play right here. Okay. Uh, Christina, you're WPATH. And Tonya, you're going to be a very bad academic at a good or bad university somewhere in the world. And I'm going to be a new PhD. I was maybe even your student. And I write a paper Quoting your paper in a shitty academic journal, because they're mostly shitty anyways, and we all know that, and and your paper cites the WPATH as the epicenter of truth for gender identity. And basically, Leo talks about this in terms of a pyramid scheme of sorts, that we all scratch each other's backs, right? So I cite you. Tonya, you cite Christina, and by virtue of my citing you, someone else comes along and cites my paper. 20 people later, suddenly you guys have been cited hundreds of times in various shitty journals that nobody reads, right? It's like the PMLA in North America. Uh, I used to be a member of the Modern Language Association, and everyone who joins it laughs because no one reads those shitty articles. And I tell you, that here we are living in a world where science in the era of follow the science, Dr. Fauci bullshit, that the science has been always cherry picked. We're seeing this because as it turns out, Sweden's COVID response did not fare worse. As we see Florida's non-lockdown, Florida is the epicenter of elderly people in the US along with Arizona, did not fare worse than California's draconian lockdown. Hmm? And that science, however, was recrafted in the same way as the female penis was recrafted in the same way as the flat earth has a transparent cover on it. This is what some of the flat earthers believe. All of this unhinged anti-science bullshit has been allowed to pass because we all domino affect each other. We all cite each other's shitty work. And therefore, Nobody ever asked if WPATH was anything other than a storefront, a drug front window. But they are they are just, you know, this, this is imitation of science again. But essentially what we're looking at is to say, you know, it's cult of personality or just a cult of organizations. It's just cultism, all of it. Uh, and of course, when people apply like a scientific sort of method to this, 
which is like replica replicability um and uh, oh yeah uh, and, and critical thinking uh and uh, making sure there aren't like there aren't self-contradictive results you know it's impossible it's just impossible like it, you don't need to be looking too hard into this to realize that it's all a scam like it really is just a scam and uh, yeah yeah and they're all just covering for each other but hopefully it's not going to it's not possible for this situation to to last it has to crumble because it's all based on life and it's so much easier it it, it requires uh, well you know to uphold these lies it requires just infinite amount of work essentially and it's so easy just to tell the truth so uh, you know the only thing that's required for this entire scam to kind of collapse is for people to simply point out you know just say the truth you just talk about reality it is not possible to change sex so you know it, the conversation should really be done at that point there's nothing that can justify taking the healthiest bodies on this planet which is the bodies of children and putting and, and doing these medical interventions as if it's possible to align their inner sense of you know gendered identity what whatever the hell that is with their physical body it is bullshit all it requires from us is to point out that it's bullshit and it's going to crumble.